Would you uh, pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together that we have as a church. We thank you, Lord, for the privileged opportunity to worship you together this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us to hear from you, help us to hear from your word. Lord, I pray that you might use me as your servant this morning to give a message that is not from me, Lord, but from you. Pray, Lord, that you would continue to prepare our hearts for the receiving of the word this morning. And I thank you uh, for this opportunity and pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Imagine with me a religious man working in the offices of the most important man in the whole world. An educated man, he's probably served as an administrative official in the king's cabinet. No doubt he witnessed dignitaries and governors pay honor and serve the king. Some were fortunate enough to receive an audience from the king to appeal to his great power for their own benefit. Perhaps while watching these other men enter the king's presence, he wondered what he might say if granted an audience with the king. We do not know when or how often the occasion occurred, but eventually this man stood before the king. As he stood before the most important man in the world, he made this bold proclamation. The hand of God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. Of all the things he could have said to the king, he says this, The hand of God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. You and I sitting in church on a Sunday morning probably consider it good to accept this bold proclamation. You and I seem to accept this reality of God's goodness. In fact, if I was to say to you, God is good, many of you would respond all the time. And all the time, God is good. You see, cognitively, in our minds, you and I have conditioned ourselves to accept as fact God's goodness. Yet honest reflection may reveal that our experience and sentiment disagrees. Is God's hand truly good for those who seek him? I mean, is it really true that God's goodness surrounds his people? On the surface, it may seem a simple question, doesn't it? It may be easy to confess a belief in the goodness of God sitting here this morning. But let's be honest. The moment you and I walk out of those doors, life takes us aside and beats that belief right out of us. It doesn't take long for an inconvenient circumstance or a serious problem to cause us to wonder 
is it really true? Can you really say that God's hand is for good on those who seek Him? Can you really say that God's hand is good when your parent becomes ill and you have to wonder whether this will be the last holiday you will be able to spend with your father or mother? Can you say God's hand is good when your spouse refuses to change and every day you, you are welcomed home by insults? Is it true that God's goodness is for those who seek Him when every job application you submit is rejected? And every call you receive from home discourages you with bad news about family and friends? Is the reality of God's goodness true even then? It can often seem that the only reality is that you and I are on a long journey with plenty of opportunities to become discouraged and question God's goodness. It feels as if we have been walking aimlessly waiting to see God's hand at work. Is it true that God's hand is at work for those who seek Him? If you've ever asked this question, would you turn with me to the book of Ezra, chapter 8? Ezra, chapter 8. As we've learned over the last several weeks, the people of Israel had been taken into exile from the land by the Babylonians. Once the Persians captured Babylonia, the people of Israel lived under the rule of the Persian Empire. Under King Cyrus, a group of Jewish exiles returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And after about 30 years, the temple was finally constructed. And now 50 years later, Ezra, a scribe, is commissioned by King Artaxerxes to lead a group of exiles back to Jerusalem. He is sent with the responsibility to teach those individuals the word of God and to take with him any treasures offered up to God for his temple. Think about the significance of this moment. To return to the land was to return to God's blessing. To return to Jerusalem was to return to God's promises. And Ezra was given the opportunity to take back his people and teach the word of God and to take with him gold and silver to adorn the temple of God. In chapter 8, we find Ezra at the river Ahaba taking count of all the people who would travel with him to Jerusalem. And as they camped there, we can imagine Ezra and his assistants walking from family to family, counting each of the travelers. At night, perhaps, they entered Ezra's tent to compile and examine the census records. But as they came to the end of the records, Ezra made a startling discovery. Ezra looked among the lists and he saw that among all of the group of returning exiles, there were none from the sons of Levi. Remember for a moment the importance that the sons of Levi had 
in the life of Israel. Since the time of the Exodus, the descendants of Levi served as priests for the Israelite people. When Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, it was his brother Aaron, a descendant of Levi, who was chosen as the first chief priest. God appointed him and his sons and the other descendants of Levi to serve as servants in the temple. As they traveled in the wilderness, the descendants of Levi were in charge of guarding and carrying the temple furnishings from location to location. Once the Israelites entered the promised land, the descendants of Levi continued in their priestly roles, serving in the temples around the land of Israel. If this was to serve as a return to the promised land, Ezra was in need of other descendants from the tribe of Levi to serve as priests and servants and to guard and carry with them all of the, tre all of the treasures that would furnish the temple. Yet as he reviewed the documents, he saw that there were none from the tribe of Levi. Where did all the Levites go? Why was this an issue that Ezra could not find any Levites? Why hadn't they responded to the magnificent charge to return back to the land? seems that many of them had become used to living in exile and established their homes in Babylonia. Their homes becoming so rooted in their new community that they no longer desired to return home. Maybe they had become so disinterested in the things of God that they no longer hoped to see Jerusalem again. Perhaps they had grown tired of waiting to see the good hand of God at work. So they decided to move on. Whatever the reason, Ezra could not return to Jerusalem without the sons of Levi, so what does he do? Read with me, beginning in verse 16. Then I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jared, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Mezulam, leading men and leading men, and Fajorib and El Nathan, who were men of insight, and sent them to Edu, the leading man at the place Kasifia, telling them what to say to Edu and his brothers and the temple servants at the place Kasifia, namely to send us ministers for the house of God. Kasifia was probably a Jewish center in Babylonia. There were probably many Israelites living there in that community. In fact, there was probably a place of worship there where Levites served the temple. So Ezra sent leading wise men to speak to a community leader there named Edu. Ezra sent these leading men hoping that they would be able to convince some of the Levites to journey with Ezra to Jerusalem. I'm sure you can imagine the uneasiness around the camp as thousands of families sat waiting. Perhaps you can hear the whispers as they asked, what if they can't find any Levites? What if we cannot go on to the journey? Will we be left here waiting 
to go back home to Jerusalem. Their concerns were dissipated when the leading men sent to Edu returned to Ezra, bringing with them 38 Levites and 220 servants. The success of these men could have been attributed to a number of things. One could say that they were successful because of Ezra. It was Ezra who found these leading men and selected them to go to Kasifia. And it was Ezra who prepped the men, telling them exactly what to say to Edu. You could also say the mission was successful because of these leading men. They could have easily failed by saying the wrong thing or returning with the wrong men. Instead, these leading men said the right things and returned with a man of virtue, a man of discretion who brought with him sons of Levi, and another man who brought with him his sons. But what is interesting is Ezra does not give himself or these men credit for the successful mission. Instead, he credits God for his provision. Read with me in verse 18. And by the good hand of our God on us, they brought us a man of discretion of the sons of Mali, the son of Levi, son of Israel, namely Sherebiah, with his sons and kinsmen, 18. Also Hashabiah, and with him Jeshiah of the sons of Merari, with his kinsmen and their sons, 20. Besides 220 servants, whom David and his officials had set apart to attend the Levites. These were all mentioned by name. You see, there are times when you and I cannot see the hand of God at work because we are looking to give credit to something else, to others, and we, we see them as being the reason for the blessing in our lives. We can more readily give credit to the man or woman who called with good news about a job opportunity. Or we give credit to ourselves for being shrewd and prudent during times of need. All the while we miss the opportunity to see God's hand orchestrating people and events around us to bless us. Ezra began his journey with a significant problem. He did not have any sons of Levi to serve as priests and to carry the temple furnishings. After three days, he had his Levites by the good hand of God. But before this caravan could commence on their journey, they encountered another problem. There was no protection to keep them safe for the journey. How was this group of about 5,000 people going to travel from Babylonia to Jerusalem? The journey itself was 900 miles, and the group carried with them a significant amount of silver and gold. Imagine traveling with this group from Babylonia to Jerusalem. There were no planes or Amtrak stations they could use to travel quickly. There were no highways or elaborate road systems to guide them by night. And there were no truck stops or motel inns to provide rest 
The journey was a long and dangerous trip. They would have to travel as fast as they could and take advantage of the daylight. And by night they would have to be encamped, all the while being careful not to be, not to encounter thieves interested in taking their treasures. In his letter to Ezra, King Artaxerxes decreed that all treasurers in the land give whatever Ezra asked of them for the temple of God. Back in chapter 7, verse 21, the text reads, Whatever Ezra the priest as for whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven requires of you, let it be done with all diligence, up to a hundred talents of silver, a hundred cores of wheat, a hundred baths of wine, a hundred baths of oil, and salt without prescribing how much. Imagine the people of Israel carrying all of these treasures, hoping they would be safe along the way. Not only did they have several tons of silver and gold, the group was comprised of 5,000 men, women, and children. Imagine being with Ezra trying to manage a 900-mile journey with 5,000 people. It would be the same as if you were to travel with hundreds of thousands of families walking from Chicago to Boston. Now, it's only natural to pause and think about this for a moment. Ezra was commissioned by the king, the greatest man in the world. He carried with him a letter as proof of the king's decrees. If anyone stopped his caravan, Ezra could show the letter was sealed with the royal signet. Ezra had such rapport with the king that it was said that the king granted to him all that he had asked. Yet if this was true, then why wasn't Ezra traveling with the king's men? Why wasn't Ezra uh, surrounded by the king's soldiers and horsemen? Ezra knew how dangerous the journey would be. He could have simply asked for the king's protection and it would have been granted to him. But Ezra did not ask for the king's soldiers. He writes in verse 22, For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. Since we had told the king the hand of our God is on all who seek him. And the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. For I was ashamed. For I was embarrassed to ask the king. Ezra remembered what was said to the king. Ezra remembered that he had told him that God's hand was on those who seek him. And if he asked the king for protection... He was worried that it would damage his testimony regarding God's goodness. So instead of appealing to the king of Persia, he led the people of God to appeal to their king, the king of the universe. And they appealed to God for protection for the journey. So they fasted 
and they prayed that they might humble themselves before God to seek from him a safe journey. Then Ezra separates twelve of the leading priests and weighs out gold and silver and all the treasures given to be presented to the house of God. And to further emphasize the significance of this event and their role as participants in it, he says to them in verse 28, You are holy to the Lord. And the vessels are holy and the silver and the gold are a free will offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. Guard them and keep them until you weigh them before the chief priests and the Levites and the heads of the fathers' houses in Israel at Jerusalem, within the chambers of the house of the Lord. From that moment on, these offerings to God were handled only by the priests. Men set apart to offer these sacrifices on the behalf of the people of God. And they departed for their journey. For four months they journeyed. A caravan of 5,000 individuals carrying several tons of silver and gold. And at the end of their 900 mile journey, they came to Jerusalem without incidents of death, or loss. And Ezra, having experienced such an incredible journey, says in verse 31, The hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy, and from ambushes by the way. What did God deliver them from? It is not that Ezra and his caravan encountered ambushes and were able to defeat the enemies in great battles. There was simply nothing to report. There were no ambushes. There were no thieves trying to steal their goods. In fact, it was quite an ordinary journey. Another reason you and I fail to see God's good hand at work is that we are often looking for God to work only in the miraculous. We pray for God to work in our lives and imagine Him working only in extraordinary ways, failing to see God's work in the ordinary and the mundane. Of course, God works in miraculous ways, but often it is in the everyday moments that God demonstrates His goodness towards us. It is in his basic provision of life, safety, and food that we see God's hand at work. Ezra was able to look back to his journey and see that since there were no incidents that challenged their safety, God's good hand was at work. We began this morning by asking the question, is it true that God's goodness is on those who seek him. And by looking at the life of Ezra, we realize that the answer to that question is a loud yes. And by looking at this story, we see that God's hand is at work, but we simply have to look more closely. 
God's goodness is evident in the lives of those who seek Him, but those who seek Him have to be able to recognize it in their lives. God's hand is at work. We simply have to look more closely. In Ezra, we see a man on a long journey with plenty of opportunities to become discouraged. We see a man with plenty of opportunities to question whether it was true that God's hand was on those who seek him. But Ezra did not allow the circumstances of his journey to determine his view of God. Instead, Ezra found God's hand, Ezra found that God's hand does in fact work good for his people. Perhaps you've come here this morning discouraged and beaten down. You look back on your week, and there are few places you can trace God's goodness. Perhaps you have been discouraged by an illness in your family. Your family member's condition seems to worsen every trip to the medical center. Every day seems like a waste of time and money because nothing seems to be progressing positively. Perhaps you have asked the question, is it really true that God's hand is for good on those who seek Him? Or maybe you've come this morning discouraged for another reason. You look back on your week and you're exhausted. You're tired. You've been pushed at work. You've been pushed at home. And you're just wondering, when can I catch a break? You may be sitting here this morning thinking of all the misfortune that has followed you. Even now, you may be making a mental list of all the things that have gone against you this week or maybe even this year. But before you keep adding to your list, I want to challenge your thought process. I want to encourage you and tell you that God's hand is indeed at work in those who seek Him. But in order to see Him at work, you have to reorient your perspective. You have to look not at the misery, but look for the gifts that God has bestowed on you. Instead of dwelling on the unfortunate events, ask how is God orchestrating these things for good? You see, God's hand is at work. You simply have to look more closely. How do we look more closely? How do we reorient our lives, our way of thinking, to see God's work in us? The first thing that we do is we follow Ezra's example and we pray. When Ezra was faced with the problem of safety for the journey, he led those with him in prayer. They humbled themselves before the Lord and asked for his safety. If you are in need of God's hand to help you, then ask. Pray to God and ask that he might help you. Jesus, in talking to his disciples, said to them, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. If you then, who are evil, know how to give gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, 
give good things to those who ask Him. Pray, ask God for help, and seek to see how He is able to demonstrate His goodness in your life. When you came in this morning, you were given a stone with the word pray. And it is my hope that as you go out of these doors and you find circumstances that cause you to question God's goodness, you would see this stone and be reminded that you have to pray. You will be reminded of Ezra's example when he led the people of Israel to fast and pray so that God's good hand would be evident in their lives. Would you take this stone and be remembered to pray? Secondly, when we, the way we are able to look more closely for God's hand is, that, is when we regularly give thanks to God. When you and I are in the midst of challenging situations, it can become easy to forget the many ways that God has blessed us. Instead of listing all of our misfortunes, let us list the ways God has blessed us. As we approach this Thanksgiving holiday, consider the many ways that God has bestowed His gifts to you. As you are surrounded by your family and your friends and you partake in a meal, would you take some time to not make it just a, a typical quick thanks of prayer before you get to the meal, but rather that you would give thanks to God for all of the blessings in your life. At the end of his journey, Ezra was those who entered the house of the Lord. He came and they rested for a while, for three days. And on the fourth day, they entered the temple of God and they handed over the gold and the silver as offerings to God. And all the people with him, those who had been held captive as exiles, offered sacrifices and sin offerings to God. They praised and worshipped God, who had so graciously blessed them and demonstrated his goodness to them. Would we be a people who praise God for his blessings? And when asked the question, is it true that God's hand is for the good on those who seek him, would we say yes? God's hand is at work. We simply have to look more closely. In the Psalms, there is a Psalm 107 which sings praises to God. And it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he had, has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and the west, from the north and the south. Some wandered in desert wastes finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to their Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way so that they might reach a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of man. 
for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Perhaps you have come here this morning hungry and thirsty to see God's hand at work. If you have come hungry and thirsty, there's only one place you can come to be satisfied. And that is at the place of Jesus. As the prayer counselor is prepared to come forward, would you think about how God has blessed you? Would you also think about areas in your life which need God's help? And would you pray for God's good hand to be on that circumstance? And if you have come hungry and thirsty, would you come and find your rest in our Lord Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words this morning. We thank you for your encouragement. We thank you that you are indeed good. We thank you, Lord, that your hand is at work. We simply have to look more closely. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to look more closely. When times of trouble come, Lord, would you help us to remember the many ways you have blessed us? And would you cause us to remember to fall before you and pray to see you at work again? We thank you, Lord, for your encouragement. And we pray, Father, that you would be with us as we go out this morning. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.